right, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to open up to a new book. So go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to ask Calvin to come forward, and uh, Calvin's going to take us through. Uh, we'll see how much I'll let him teach. Uh, <laughs> might let him teach a couple chapters, or maybe the whole thing. We'll see. <laughs> okay, we are in Deuteronomy, new book. Um, Deuteronomy means second law, and it's kind of a weird term for it, but it's actually just the reiteration of the law, because... The older generation of the children of Israel is about to die off, and we have this new generation. And so they don't know much about anything. They don't know much of what the people have been through, um, what the law is about God. And so mo this is like a, it's almost like, I think of it like a, uh, a pre-game locker room pep talk that Moses is giving to the new generation. He's hyping them up, hyping them up about to tell them to um, prepare them to go to um, the promised land. And so before we start, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives, Lord. Um, I pray that um, we would be open to receive what you want to speak to us and that we may apply it to our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 And so just a little overview. Um, this book, uh, Jesus quotes... Um, from Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. And believe it or not, the word love is used in this book more than any other book in the Bible. And so you might think the word love is used a lot in the New Testament, used a lot in maybe the Gospel of John, but it's actually Deuteronomy where love is used um, the most. And so this is um, the final address of Moses to his people. Um, this is his last month, month and a half of life. He's approximately about 120 years old right now, and I guess he's still got he still got it. He still got his vision, his comprehension, his uh, ability to communicate and drop the word. And so this is like his last, you know, hurrah. I guess um, he is rehearsing to them their past history, and many of them were born in the wilderness, and they didn't experience the things their ancestors went through. And so, for example, they didn't see the Red Sea parted. And I know a big question um, when we were in Numbers was, well, why didn't the children of Israel believe God? Because they saw God part the Red Sea. And now this generation didn't even see the Red Sea. And so how do we apply that? And we have to apply that because we have to take God at his word. We have to know that he's all-powerful, whether we see these amazing signs and symbols and miracles or not. Um, because um, we don't decide what's a miracle and what's not. Only God decides that. And to be honest, the, the fact that God got his message to us is a miracle, that we have everything we need in this book. We have everything we need um, in our cars. We have everything we need in an app. There's multiple Bible apps, and a lot of different uh, countries don't even have access to God's word. And so if you're looking for a miracle or praying for a miracle, just know that God's word is already a miracle. And so you can look to that. Um, they also did not have the horrible memory of the bondage in Egypt. And so the first generation were in absolute slavery and they didn't have that. And so um, we need to apply that in the sense that we need to learn from other people's mistakes. And so they didn't see you know, what their ancestors went through. They weren't there. They're pretty young. They're, um, I taught this to the middle school kids and I'm like, they're probably, some of them are your age right now. And they didn't know what it's like to go through, you know, super tough times. Um, and a big thing I like to point out is uh, we are 
wrong when we say, God made me hit rock bottom, so I would turn to him. Because the reality is that God didn't make us hit rock bottom. Our selfishness, our stubbornness, our unbelief, our disobedience, and our sins bring us to rock bottom. And God uses that, so we would turn back to him, but that's not God's intention for us to hit rock bottom. And so it's kind of similar to this, that God's intention for them is not to hit you know, rock bottom where their ancestors were, where their ancestors were wandering around forever. That's not um, God's intention. And so when you hear that, make sure you know, you're not blaming God for, oh, God had me hit rock bottom, or God made me hit rock bottom. God isn't the cause for you hitting rock bottom. Your sin, your doubt, your unbelief is the cause of you hitting rock bottom. And God uses that, so you, t- so, um, you would turn back to him. Um, but... His intention in the first place is for us to walk by faith, and so that was never part of God's plan. Um, They also were not aware of the hazards in the wilderness, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And so uh, Moses is explaining all the dangers and all the different things that go on uh, about the wilderness, about where they came from, and about the promised land. And so we're going to jump right into it, starting at verse 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan. Um, in, a, in other versions, it's actually the east side, so the east side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite, Suf between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahad. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in at Ashtaroth in Edrai. And so they're coming towards the promised land now. It is the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year. And so it's almost been 41 years. And so the children of Israel um, have been wandering around 40 years, oh, almost 41. And Moses is dropping his final exhortations to the people, um, the new generation, before they cross over. And it says it's an 11-day journey, and uh, taking them 40 years. And but it actually took them 40 years and 11 months. And so I kind of put this in perspective because we do this. We doubt God and we you know disobey God and so we're stuck in that wandering area at times in our lives and so if you apply the ratio at which the um, at which their process should have taken their journey should have taken to how long they actually did take um, for example assuming if you take um, a minute and that's gracious because it should never take us a minute to walk to the bathroom um, if you wandered around the same rate as the children of Israel it would take you over 22 and a half hours to go to the bathroom every single time. Um, and so that goes with blessings too. And so let's say God promises you the blessing of Disneyland. And so we all live in Southern California. We love Disneyland. And on average, it probably takes us about 25 minutes, uh, maybe here 15, but it takes forever to find parking. So if it takes us 25 minutes to get to Disneyland, if we went at the same rate the children of Israel went, you would take 23 and a half days just to get God's blessing of Disneyland when it only needed to take you 25 minutes to drive there and find parking. Um, 
And the last one is, I think God promises to still a lot of people, and God has, um, his children should be glorifying him in everything. And one thing that comes to mind is school. And so I know God wants me to get through school. God didn't just put me in school so I can fail, so I can be lazy. And so, um, assuming God's blessing for me is a bachelor, just the average degree, um, that would take eight semesters, so about four years. If I went at the same rate as the children of Israel, if I disobeyed at the same rate the children of Israel did, I would take 5,428 years <laughs> to get my bachelor's wow. degree. <laughs> and so it's kind of like hysterical, but if we think about it, that amount of time is absurd, but we wouldn't live anywhere near there. And so the application is sometimes our blessings are delayed, like it should never take us 23 and a half days to get to Disneyland, to get to where God wants to take us, when it should only take us a few minutes, and it should never take us over 5,000 years to get a degree. And so when we wander around, when we disobey God, our blessings aren't only delayed, but a lot of times we miss out on a lot of <coughs> blessings. If we live a life stuck in the wilderness, we're going to die off and miss that bachelor's degree, miss that Disneyland ride, and miss going to the bathroom, miss a whole bunch of blessings that God has for us. Um, and so I was trying to find an application to speed, because personally I like moving fast, 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 fast. Like, I love everything fast. Like, I hate doing yoga, because yoga is slow. Like, when I'm doing yoga, I did a yoga class once, and I literally felt my life was slowing down. Like the pace of my life was just going so slow. Never did it again. And so I would like to think that um, God would like for us to move fast, but the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says it's only an 11-day process. And so what I took from that is that everything is under God's timing, um, but this process is, is often messed up, is often delayed way longer because of our disobedience. And so we can never expect, you know, certain things to be fast or to be slow. They're always under God's timing, but when, but when um, you're not getting them or you're not getting to where you think you should be as fast as you think you should be, it's probably because of sin, <coughs> disobedience, stubbornness, something that you're doing to hinder it. Because under God's timing, he has you move swiftly, progressively. Um, and it was only a 126-mile journey. I should have taken them about 11 days, but just didn't. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is the, the, what it, how it connects with the Christian walk. And so let's start with Egypt. Egypt represents the world. It represents bondage, um, a life of hardship, and slavery. And so we were all there. We all have to be born again. It doesn't matter who you are. A pastor has to be born again. If you're raised in a church, you have to be born again. If you're wandering on the street, you have to be born again. If you're the Pope, you have to be born again. Sorry, it's been bugging me. But you have to be born again. And so we were all in that time. Um, it doesn't matter how old we were, but we were all in a place of so-called Egypt. We were all in a slavery to the world. We were slaves to our own sin. And so what God wants to do is God wants to take us to the promised land. And we're going to get to what that represents in a sec. But we're going to talk about the wilderness first. And the wilderness represents God's maturing process to develop and to grow you, to teach you, so you can walk by faith. Um, and there's two aspects to it. The first aspect of the wilderness is legitimate. 
And so the first aspect is necessary. If you look at the map, I know study Bibles have them. If you look at the map, the wilderness is a necessary area for them to go through to get to the actual promised land. And so same thing with our walk. The wilderness is necessary. Whether we like it or not, we have to be um, matured. We have to be grown up. We have to be developed. And when I was teaching the middle school kids this, I thought it was the perfect lesson for them. I give them a little sneak peek, get ready for now. And they're at the perfect age where they're having that maturing process. They're about to enter high school in a few years. And so they're going to see things and experience things that they haven't experienced before. And they're going to need to know how to respond to that. And same with us. And so it's necessary. But the second aspect is the illegitimate one, which is the amount of time the children of Israel took. And so um, we, make, we make it illegitimate. We um, wander around forever when we disobey God, when we um, choose to sin, and when we choose not to walk by faith. When we walk in our, our own strength, that's when the wilderness becomes illegitimate. God's intention is for you to get through the wilderness so you can mature and get to the promised land. Um, but it's not, his will is not for you to walk around the same mountain over and over and over and over. He'll pick you up every single time because he's faithful, but that was never his intention. His intention was, to, was never for them to take almost 40 years or almost 41 years. Um, and so what does the promised land represent? What is our incentive, I guess you can say? Um, what is on the other side? The promised land for us um, isn't a physical um, land like them with giant fruits and honey. Sounds pretty sweet, but we don't get that. Not yet, at least. Um, but the promised land for us in a Christian walk is a glorious life um, where you have victory in the spirit, where God, the life that God intended you to live. Um, you've reckoned um, the old man dead, and you are acknowledging that you are a new creation, and you're learning to walk by faith. I put a hashtag, a life governed by the spirit, governed strictly by the spirit. You're walking strictly by faith. You're not walking um, in your own strength. And I remember the middle school kids, um, they're they just like, yeah. And I'm like, what's the promised land? And they're like, oh. And I'm like, if you guys don't get this right, we can't play another game. We can't play another game of dodgeball. And they're like, wait, we know, we know now, all of a sudden. And they're like, it's a life um, governed by the spirit. I'm like, good job. And like another kid was like, yeah, it's a life of overcoming. I'm like, yeah, good job. It is a life of overcoming. And I had one of them ask me, are we perfect? Once we enter, you know, God's rest of the promised land of our Christian walk where um, we're not circling around the same mountain anymore, and the answer is no, we're not perfect yet. We're not, you know, we're still going to have struggles, but the difference is we're, um, we're walking by faith. We're learning um, to be led only by the Spirit, and we're learning to overcome. That's the key word. You're not perfect, but you're overcoming. Um, we're going to jump into verse 9 now. Oh, no, sorry, verse 5. Um, on this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt um, long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, in the lowland, in the south, on the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, and river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. Are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> oh. um, Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob to give to them and their descendants after them. And so God wants you, again, to possess the land. Like, it's not God's intention for you to stay in the maturing process forever. It's not God's intention for you to circle around the same mountain over and over. Um, starting at verse 9 now. And I spoke to you at that time saying, uh, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. Um, may the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are. And bless you as he has promised you. Um, and I have a verse that goes with that. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verses 5 through 8, it says, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. And so Moses is trying to tell them, God is the only one that provides um, the growth. No one else provides the growth. Um, we as his servants, we can plant, we can water, like Paul is saying in Corinthians. Uh, we can nurture, we can care, we can tend, but we don't grow, we don't save, we don't increase anything. Every, everything is, every increase is only from God, whether it's in quality, in quantity, or in numbers, um, just like right here. Verse 12 now. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose um, wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribe, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at the time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. Um, and so as a nation of free men, leaders were appointed um, to make sure, to ensure that uh, um, justice was being served and that everyone was uh, treated fairly. And now we're going to go into verse 19. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word uh, to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which uh, we shall come. And so verse 22 specifically speaks out to me, because, was it 22? Yes. Um, and so the children of Israel were refusing, they were, you know, scared, and what kind of, I don't really get, is that they 
wanted to search out God's promises as if, you know, it wasn't good. Like, I think we do that sometimes. Like, oh, God promised me this, but I don't know if I want to possess it yet. I don't know if I want to take it. Let's, you know, send in some men and see if this promised land really is as good as it says. Like, that's like, that's like a waste of time. Why would we, you know, um, search out God's promises to see if they're good when we can just possess them? Um, and so we need to do that as we, um, we need to be aware of that as we, you know, things come into our lives and we know we should just go for it. We should step out in faith. But instead, sometimes we're like, no, I'm going to look, I'm going to sit back and just keep looking at it. And I don't think we should be doing that. In verse 23, it says, the plan pleased, um, pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God has given us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of, of um, the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons um, of the Anakim there. <coughs> and so they're looking at, they're looking at this um, promised land that they're scoping out, and they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by the giant walls, and they're overwhelmed by you know, the scary giants. And so they're looking through carnal eyes. They're not looking through spiritual eyes. Um, and they start to blame God. They say, because the Lord hates us. And we're never justified when we say God hates us. When we say that, it's usually because we're emotional and that clouds our judgment. And on top of that, we're not looking through God's eyes. If we looked um, everything through God's eyes, we would know there's a greater scheme of things and that he loves each person individually, but he's still going to use everything for the greater good. And we don't do that at times. Sometimes we just look at what's in front of us. Sometimes we see um, the big overwhelming, you know, tasks, the big overwhelming job, um, different people, you know, that are in our lives that seem scary. And we only see it through our perspective. We don't see it through God's perspective. And because of that, they started to blame God. And we're not justified when we say God hates us because God doesn't hate us. Uh, verse 29, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did, he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Um, verse 33, it says, uh, Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord, who went in the way before you. And so when God promises you things, when God has a place for you to go, different things um, he has set out for you, He, those things aren't just, oh, I'm going to give Brian this, I'm going to give Tony this, I'm going to give... Josh and Natalie does. It's he's preparing you for those places. He has them specifically for you for a reason. And the cool thing is, 
He doesn't only prepare you for those places, he prepares those places for you if you're catching that. And so sometimes we're like, I know I should be doing this, and I know I should be going this direction, and I'm like, but it's kind of scary, but you don't realize it, but when you're ready, when God's preparing you, God prepared that place for you too. He's prepared you for those places and those places for you. And so he's doing a work behind the scenes you don't see that your destination is going to be awesome because um, not only are you ready for it, but it's ready for you as well. And so that's another encouragement for us to go out and walk by faith, go out and be led by the Spirit and possess what God has for us. Because I'm sure there's things that, you know, that are on some of our hearts that, yeah, this has been on my heart for a while that I need to just go after this. But sometimes our fear, which is a synonym for unbelief, you know, gets in the way of that. And we're going to see more of how that can hinder everything. Um, verse 34. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He, he shall see it and to him and his children. I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say, will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there to them, I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, and presumptuous, presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in, the, in that mountain came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, according to the days that you spent here, there. And so he's talking about Israel's rebellion, and at the time, Caleb was the only one that was able to enter because he wholly followed God. Um, even Moses would eventually not enter. Moses would... Um, Die before he could go in, and because of uh, the thing, because of him hitting the rock instead of um, speaking to the rock in numbers, he will not be able to go in, and Joshua will end up leading them in. Um, in verse 43, it says, uh, Don't be presumptuous, and in Chuck Smith's commentary, he says, Instead, be obedient. Um, make sure that um, everything you're doing is um, God led. Um, and I also put, I also think everything you're not doing should be God-led too. Because I think a lot of us, especially looking at the children of Israel, they were just scared to just go and take the land. Like there was nothing else they needed to do. They just needed to go and get in there. And it said God will fight for them. But they didn't want to believe that. And sometimes we choose to sit back and that's not God-led. Sometimes God is leading us to step out in faith. Sometimes we're saying, oh, I'm just going to sit back and see where the Lord takes you, but when really the Lord wants you to just 
step out in faith because a lot of times there are things that are in front of us that we can just go and possess that the Lord has for us, but there are things that we do that hinder that, like our unbelief, our fear, and our lack of trust. Um, we're going to end in Romans, actually. We're going to turn, turn with me over there to chapter 7. chapter 7 really fast. It says, For I know that in me nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do um, do it, but sin that dwells in me. And Paul is saying this, if you look over at verse Eight, his um, he's trying to explain himself. Verse or not verse eight, chapter eight. Sorry, starting at verse one, it says, "There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh." on account of sin. Um, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things, um, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so you can see his change of heart from chapter 7 to chapter 8. In chapter 7, he's saying, man, this, I want to do good, but I just can't do good. I don't want to do bad, but I just end up doing bad. And the change of heart he's talking about is a life um, governed by the Spirit. And again, it's never God's intention for us to stay in the wilderness. We're not supposed to be there forever. It's supposed to be a maturing process that we get through you know, day by day. We're growing. We're not you know, you know, being a lukewarm Christian where we you know, take steps back, take steps forward backslide, take steps forward. How are you going to ever get to where God wants to take you if you're taking, you know, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, you know. It's a process. And what Paul is saying is to get into the promised land, to have that life of victory, a life of overcoming, the difference is from chapter 7 to chapter 8. A lot of times, you notice chapter 7, a lot of I, I, I. Um, he's saying it's no longer um, how shall I deliver myself, but it's to chapter 8, it's who shall deliver me? And it's the Spirit. The Spirit leads me. It's no longer, how am I going to do this in my own power? Because that's where the wandering happens. Is, oh, I'm going to try to you know, do this in my own strength because I don't believe God can get me through it. That's what we're really saying when you know, we try to do things in our own strength is we think God can't do it. And that's the difference. We need to be able to have the perspective of um, it's not how I'm going to do it. It's who's going to do it, which is God. Who's going to deliver me, which is God. And so I just encourage you guys to not circle that mountain, not be like the children of Israel, because we miss out on, we're, not only are blessings going to be delayed, but we miss out on blessings every single time we're circling that mountain, that God is constantly preparing things for us, um, God's constantly having things just for us to just simply take a little step of faith, grab it, you know, sometimes we see it, and we're still scared, like we act, you know, like the children of Israel, we're like, 
is it good? You know, Johnny, can you check out that blessing for me? Like, is that a good blessing? Like, we do things like that, but we should just go and get the blessings. We should just go and have this victory, have a life of overcoming. And that's only through God. That's not through our strength. It's God who does it. God is the focal point of everything. He's um, the superstar of the Bible. And so if you guys have any uh, questions, comments, or concerns. Cool. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word has this ability to minister uh, just deep. We, we thank you for the nation of Israel and the example that they are to us. And Lord, we unfortunately find ourselves in, in those footsteps at times wandering around and circling around and just learning our lessons, Lord, because there's something that maybe we're not getting that you want to show us. And so may we be those who walk by faith, trusting, Lord, that you're leading us, that you're guiding us, that you will provide for us, that uh, you're on your job, Lord, you're doing what you are just set out to do. Lord, you're preparing the place for us as you are preparing us for the place that you have prepared for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that uh, there is a plan, Lord, that you do have uh, a will for our lives. It's not haphazard, Lord. It's not uh, an accident, Lord. It's not a coincidence. And so, Lord, we can find incredible comfort in knowing that you're guiding us, Lord. You're leading us. And what a joy to know that. And, and just a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord, to understand that. So may we continue to be those, Lord, who walk by faith and not by sight. Pray for this church that you continue to just be in our midst and just bless our fellowship. Um, whatever else we have going on through the week, Lord, and I pray that you be glorified. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.